Hello, it's 24th of June 2017 and this is episode 34 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Now, normally at this point, I would ask Kirsty how her week in Star Wars has been. But right now, I want to say that this is our second chance at recording this podcast because the first time it only recorded Kirsty's side of the conversation. We could have just cut that out, but people might not have enjoyed it too much. Oh, no. <laughs> You've never seen this face of mortification, my face of mortification, when I opened up that file in Audacity. Aww. I was like, no! <laughs> like Darth Vader, no! <laughs> exactly. If I could use a gift to some of my feelings in that moment, it would be that. But yeah, I'm just hoping and praying that it doesn't happen again because I do not trust this software as far as I can throw it now. Aww. It's like all trust has been broken. It's honestly like a podcasting rite of passage. I figured it would happen to us at some point. So <laughs> we're in the club now. <laughs> yeah, I did think it'd been going almost too well. So um, yeah, <laughs> we'll be okay. Um, but yeah, basically, this is going to be a streamlined version of the show we originally recorded because we had previously recorded for about three hours. Admittedly, parts of that was just our informal conversation, but it was still a pretty meaty podcast. But yeah, we're not going to do It Came From Reddit, although we did originally. We talked about the amazing theory where Finn is the illegitimate love child of Leia and Lando, and it was hilarious. <laughs> We also answered a bunch of listener questions. Um, so I'm really sorry. They are going to have to be put back a week again. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so I think we should just go from here into my quick review of The Book of Henry, which is the Colin Trevorrow film that we had quite a big discussion of last week when we were um, basically questioning whether um, Colin should even direct episode nine, given his track record in terms of just the quality of his films and also the sexual politics of them. Um, obviously, that whole discussion seems really quaint now that we have the whole situation with the Han Solo movie. Um, but nonetheless, I still wanted to see The Book of Henry for myself and get a feel for it um, and essentially reach my own opinion because I don't like to be told what I should think by reviews and stuff. Um, and it's not a great film, but... I did think it was better than some people were saying because people were comparing it to stuff like Tommy Wiseau's The Room and Birdemic. And those are notoriously bad and incompetent films. And The Book of Henry isn't incompetent. It has some good performances and it's quite technically accomplished. And I do think it has elements that actually make Colin Farrow look quite good as a filmmaker. But it also has elements that make him look quite bad as a filmmaker. So mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you had a more positive experience watching it than some of the reviews have suggested, because <laughs> no one wants to sit through a terrible movie, unless mm. you're kind of watching it from like that morbidly curious angle, Yeah, which, you know, would be something that you'd approach the room with, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think I'm going to watch it, uh, just because, one, the premise of it didn't seem like something that would interest me anyway. Yeah, um, sure. But also piecing together the reviews and then what you've said about it um I feel like I I know what I need to know about it in terms yeah. of um what it could mean for episode nine and I've watched his other films and 
based on what you said about it not being a complete disaster, I feel a little more reassured for episode nine. And yeah. the, the news that came out this week has actually reassured me even more. Um, yeah. But I still have my reservations about Colin Trevorrow's treatment of female characters. And I don't yeah. I don't think that's going to go away, honestly. Um, because even if that is a non-issue in episode nine, I don't feel confident that it would have been down to him. I feel like it would have been as a result of um, greater oversight from people like Kathleen Kennedy. So, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's totally understandable because... Well, I wouldn't say it was sexist. I wouldn't go that far with the Book of Henry. I would say that is not great with its female characters. I would say they feel like people, which is something of a step from a few other Colin Trevorrow projects. Um, And that they're treated with some empathy and respect, which is always good. But there are also like slightly cringy choices like the decision to have this middle-aged mother be like infantilized and basically have her actions dictated to her by her 11 year old son is just like i don't understand what was appealing about that as a concept to colin trevorrow <laughs> um and yeah i just i don't have the greatest expectations for episode nine but Based on how Lucasfilm have handled the Han Solo situation, I know for a fact that they are not going to settle for a bad or mediocre film. They are going to pull out all the stops to make sure it's great, and they're going to do anything, even if it makes them potentially look a bit bad, to make sure that it's not ruined. Um, And... Yeah, like, I don't like to express so little faith in Colin Trevorrow's abilities as a filmmaker, but I definitely think there needs to be lots of collaboration between him and others and that's absolutely the narrative we're getting he constantly talks about like creative socialism and he's talking very much about working closely with ryan and the story group and stuff so i have no doubt that it's not going to be solely down to colin trevorrow's efforts the story is being formed by a much wider body if that makes sense yeah i mean that's i'm not concerned about the overall quality of the story i mean for example Rogue One is a solid film, mm. but I still have issues with its depiction of female characters aside from Jin, um, and the lack yeah. the lack thereof, like just in the background, <laughs> it's mostly men, um, yeah, especially sure. the speaking parts, because it has a female protagonist, but you know, most of the time it's a man talking on screen. Yeah. Um, so that kind of thing can be, maybe be harder for people to pick up on. Um, and it's not necessarily openly sexist. It's just kind of sexist by omission, or uh, it's just not a priority of the film to um, focus on female characters and really yeah. flesh them out. So it can be more insidious than something that's just like you can point to it and say that's sexist. So yeah. that's something that I'm still a bit skeptical of. Um, and not just from Colin Trevorrow, honestly, from Lucasfilm in general, because as I said, Rogue One had that issue. Um, the Force Awakens, like, yes, we have Rey, she's awesome, and there's Leia, and there's Maz, but it doesn't pass the Bechdel test. So yeah. they still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, exactly. I think it's the question. There definitely won't be, like, overt sexism. It's not going to be, like, home base two <laughs> um, by any stretch of the imagination. But you're right in that there's more to, like, empowering women and making your film female-friendly than just having a female protagonist. And Lucasfilm haven't always shown the greatest understanding of that they've taken great steps forward in terms of what they've done and it's awesome but it's just like simple things like it'd be nice to see female friendships and stuff and relationships between women because we haven't had that and yeah i think it's 
very justifiable to be skeptical about whether Colin Trevorrow will be interested in pursuing that line of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess that pretty much sums up what we wanted to say about Colin and the Book of Henry specifically. Um, if you have any questions for next time, please do send them to scavengershoard at gmail.com. As always, if you'd like to help us out, please do rate and review us on iTunes because that's really great and it helps to bring us to more people's attention. Right, to move on to our news segment, the first story, (laughs) of course, is there has been massive drama around the production of the untitled Han Solo movie with the original directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller being fired and Ron Howard being brought in to take over directing duties. Um, So yeah, like, how would you sum up your feelings on this situation, Kirsty? Like, what are your initial thoughts and how have they developed as more information has come out? Oh, it was very surprising to see. Mm. Um, it, ha- it wasn't really something I'd been anticipating because, you know, we haven't heard an awful lot about Han Solo. Like, we still don't have a premise for the film. Mm. Um, and this might be why, honestly, that they've been kind of hesitant to divulge information because so much has been up in the air. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, from what's been coming out since the news kind of dropped, um, now we know about Ron Howard and we have a little bit more information from all these various sources as to what was going down and why they decided to make this decision. Mm. Um, I feel reassured ultimately. Yeah. Um, because it makes me feel like Lucasfilm are going to be proactive. And we kind of saw this with Rogue One as well, but now it's happened again. It's like if they aren't happy with what they're seeing, even if they're this late into production, because there are only really a few weeks left of filming as it was initially planned anyway, um, they won't hesitate to make these difficult choices that can look bad, but might ultimately result in a better movie. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's a really brave decision because it really does attract the worst kind of PR. It makes you look like you're not doing the job you need to be doing in pre-production when you're having the discussions about who's going to direct this and when you're actually hiring people. So it basically makes you look like a bad employer because it's like, well, even if they did mess things up, surely you should have realised that they weren't a right fit before you started shooting. Um, But even with all that said, even with all the negative press this is attracting, I'd still much rather they blew the whistle now and said, look, no, this cannot go on. We do not find this acceptable. If you can't work with us, you need to go. I, I'm still much happier they did that rather than just letting things meander on, even with all the problems, even though they weren't happy with the product that was coming out. Yeah. And to be fair, I, I'm guessing, I'm, I'm choosing to be like glass half full and think that because it took this long, it means that it really was a last resort to fire them. Yeah. Um, and they really tried to work with them and kind of meet in the middle and try to iron out whatever disagreements they had. Like if these sources that we're going to talk about later are on the nose, mm. um, there were obviously tensions about things around the characterization, how much improvisation was going on versus how strictly they were adhering to Kaz and the script mm. um, and what the overall tone of the film was going to be. So I think, because it doesn't look good, I really think Lucasfilm tried their best to work with those directors and ultimately it just hasn't worked out. And it's a creative process. So, you know, we can we can look at it and say, well, why didn't they know this from the start? You know, obviously they're a very distinctive directors with a very, it's a very easily recognizable visual style. And when we'd heard that they'd 
chosen um, the directors of the Lego movie and the 21 Jump Street movies, we were like, oh, that means that it's going to have this kind of irreverent comedic style, or at least they're going to bring that element to it, because why else would you choose them? Mm. But the standalones are still in quite an experimental phase. We only have one. So yeah. it might be that they thought that that was the right decision, and then it just hasn't turned out to work as the way that they'd hoped. Yeah. Um, because you're dealing with a legacy character at the end of the day. We can call it a standalone all we want, but Han Solo is pretty central to Star Wars. Yeah. You can't mess around with him too much. You can take him down interesting roads, but um, if you deviate so far away from the character that it doesn't look like Han anymore, and it sounds like that might have been what was going on, mm-hmm. or at least in some people's perspectives, um, yeah, you have to be really careful. Because a lot of fans were skeptical of well, what this movie would look like because of that, because they... Um, hold Han so dearly so yeah no exactly Han Solo is one of those movies where it's been met with scepticism since day one so it's almost like a film where people already have like the pitchforks out (laughs) um, to demonize it if it turns out to be a bad movie and it could basically topple the whole Star Wars story experiment it could prove to people like look, they made a really bad movie. This like makes the whole franchise look bad. And it could also potentially risk ruining the legacy of the character of Han Solo. And that is not a path they want to go down. Um, yeah, like it's probably a good point to start talking about some of the sources we have here. Like um, the first source we have is Variety. And um, they say, a person with knowledge of the production said the chemistry between the directors and Kennedy was never right. It was a culture clash from day one, the source said. She didn't even like the way they folded their socks. The source said that while Lord and Miller were supposedly hired for their vision and distinctive brand of filmmaking, when it came to the Star Wars production, Kennedy did not approve of their shooting style and process of interacting with actors and crew. They weren't given the leeway to do what they had to do, the source said. The duo also clashed with Kasdan, who has been an integral creative part of several Star Wars movies dating back to the 1980 and The Empire Strikes Back. Like Kennedy, he questioned many of the pair's directing choices. Kathy, her team, and Larry Kasdan have been doing it their way for a very long time. They know how the cheese is made, and that's how they want it made, said the source. It became a very polarising set. So yeah, very interesting. Because this stuff about Lawrence Kasdan having trouble with the directors as well, that kind of has been overlooked in some of the articles I've seen. Um, You know, there are a few articles questioning whether Lucasfilm needed a change in leadership because it looks so bad that they've changed directors this late in the game. But if you have have a writer, especially someone who was there kind of from the beginning in terms of creating this character and who's taken him all the way to his death in The Force Awakens... Mm. um, and he's saying he has concerns about the way Han is being depicted and the story's going. It's good for her to listen to that. Yeah. Like, I I think that Kathleen Kennedy is making the right decision there and siding with Kasdan because he arguably understands the character better than anyone else. Exactly. Yeah, like, I absolutely trust Kasdan. And I don't mean to denigrate or offend Lord and Miller because they're clearly very talented they've made lots of well-received movies and I personally really love the Lego movie but ultimately if it comes down to having to choose who I regard as the custodian of Han's character that is going to be Lawrence Kasdan is going to be the guy with the decades of experience and investment in this character so 
yeah, I think if he had problems with how Han was being handled and how his script was being handled, which is probably the real crux of the issue, then I'm probably going to be in his corner. I don't think it's possible to say either side was completely to blame and the other side is perfectly innocent and had done nothing wrong. I don't think that's the case. There's clearly blame on both sides. But yeah, I think ultimately I side with the producers and Kathleen Kennedy and Lawrence Calston here, just for so many reasons. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there was some kind of miscommunication going on in terms of how much creative control that they would get. Or not just creative control, but that there would still be a final sign-off on what they wanted to do. So, yes, they're free to experiment and push the boundaries. Like They must have been chosen with that in mind, that they were going to bring this comedic aspect of the character and the story. But at the end of the day, it's still Star Wars and it's still Han Solo, who's an established character. Yeah. So um, I really enjoyed the Lego movie and the 21 Jump Street movies, but um, they're pretty irreverent and break the fourth wall and are pretty meta in their sense of comedy yeah and i just don't know if that would work for star wars yeah and han, it's thrown up kind of interesting discussions about who han is because lots obviously fans all have their own interpretation of the character but i never thought that he was particularly comedic mm. he's sarcastic and kind of bitter and rude and that can be funny in the context of a scene but he's not like the guy he's not a clown yeah <laughs> or like the guy who's laugh out loud funny um, yeah, so. no, that's totally right. It's, so I think ultimately Star Wars, it obviously has humour, it has really funny parts. Like, I love the stuff of C-3PO in the original trilogy. Like, when I was a kid, that made me laugh so hard. And it even does now. Um, but I think ultimately people love Star Wars because it's very, like, sincere and it really believes in itself. Like, the original Star Wars, the reason people loved it so much was because there was just so much, like, heart and genuine, like, belief in the material. Because it's like Mark Hamill says, like, he didn't approach it approach it as, like, a campy, silly, like, sci-fi movie. He tried to approach it with as much genuine, like, emotion and investment as he could, given the fact that his character was obviously an archetype rather than this like fully realized dramatic persona if you will um and i think that really resonated with people that's why people cared and why people latched onto it so much and if you do take han solo down like a more ironic and self-aware route which it kind of sounds like lord and miller might have been doing then i think that gets away from that and in doing so it kind of moves away from the fundamental spirit of star wars and i think that's dangerous yeah and i think these are kind of concerns that people have had for a while because when you meet Han Solo at the beginning of A New Hope, he's kind of an ass. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's part of the point that you meet him then and he's not very likable. And then he goes on this anti-hero arc where he finds something to care about and believe in. Yeah. And pe people he loves and is willing to die for, ultimately. Mm. Um, so I've always been a bit concerned about what they would tell us before that happens because... Yeah, he'll be the protagonist, but is he going to be likable and compelling or is he going to be a dick? Mm. Like, um, and can you give him likable attributes without retconning what we already know about the character's journey? Yeah. So um, it sounds like they were being a, going a bit too far. I mean, the Star Wars Newsnet article mm. um, says that they're comparing what they were seeing of Han's character to Jim Carrey's performance in Ace Ventura. <laughs> Yeah. Which makes, makes me cringe <laughs> because that's not Han. Um, no. And it sounds like Alden Ehrenreich himself had concerns about that too. And 
you know, if he's saying it and he must be all too aware of the incredible amount of pressure on him and that this is going to be career defining, good or bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm not surprised that if this is really something that was going on, that he would raise concerns as well. It, I think the article says that he raised concerns with the producer who then took it to Kathleen Kennedy. Mm. So if multiple people were coming to her, like you've got the writer and the central actor mm. saying hey, something else is going on here. You might want to look at it and see if this is actually what you're going to be happy with. Yeah. It sounds like there really was grounds for a big shake-up. Yeah. So I have seen like some false depictions of this situation where people basically act like this all rests on Kathleen Kennedy. Like she went in and she thought the footage was bad and so she made the decision to like fire Lord and Miller on the spot. But when you actually read these different reports and get the different angles on it, you totally like grasp that it was not just on her there were lots of people raising concerns and she was not the only person who was unhappy and felt that things were going off course yeah it's the kind of thing i'm guessing she would have taken to bob Iger at some point as well i mm. highly doubt that he just found out about it when she made the final decision <laughs> yes but i've seen people say like oh i wonder what bob Iger thinks about this i'm like i'm pretty sure he's okay with it and understands that she needed to do this yeah. to ensure that they would get the best product in the end that they could um, this isn't the kind of thing that they do lightly. Exactly. I'm sure they had every chance and this was clearly done as an absolute last resort. Like, they knew the kind of press this would attract. Although I must say, one of the things that amazes me is how in all their press releases about the situation, they still say they're going to stick to that May release date. Mm. That, to me, seems a bit forward. Like, I'm not sure they should be promising that given that it is going to be a lot of work to sort this movie out, given what we're hearing about the situation. It's so hard to know. I mean, for all we know, like we've just heard that Ron Howard's going to be the director, but he could have been working on it already and we're just not aware. Yeah. You know, um, there's so much behind the scenes stuff that just isn't on our radar until they decide it is. So mm. it's possible that he's been working with Lord and Miller and then suddenly they weren't okay with it or... Um, yeah, he's been look. He's been looking at the existing footage and think like figuring out whether they could stick to that release, yeah. or they might, or they might end up deciding to push it back. Mm -hmm. Um, that wouldn't bother me at all if it means that we end up with a better film, because it's at the moment we're only going to have five months between that and the Last Jedi. So yeah, it really doesn't give the Han Solo movie much breathing room to be honest, mm. because I think five months after The Force Awakens, I was still on a complete Force Awakens high. <laughs> so I'm not sure I'll have got over The Last Jedi enough to be able to sufficiently focus on Han Solo. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, um, obviously, if they're eventually looking into going for a Marvel model, they would bring the projects closer together. But right now, I feel like a year between each one is enough. Yeah. Um, but then, then they would end up moving back, back episode nine, wouldn't they? So... Yeah, no, that's true. Actually, stick to me. Thanks. <laughs> that's much more important that we get episode nine early. Yeah, like the choice of Ron Howard, I think, is a good one. And it's something that it sounds as if that's what's going to address the concerns that they have. Because if Lawrence Kasdan is saying, well, they're improvising and kind of throwing my script in the trash. I mean, that's an exaggeration. That's not what he's saying. That's me. Yeah. Uh, but if, you know, there are concerns that their style is about experimenting and playing around things and not necessarily sticking to the script and Kazan saying hey I wrote this thing this is my understanding of the character that I helped create mm. um, I feel like Ron Howard because he has such strong ties to Lucasfilm historically and 
he's just a very versatile, reliable director. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's going to be a good move for them. Yeah. No, totally. I think Ron Howard is a very solid choice. Um, He's clearly someone that they know and that they trust. Because while they were doing quite a cool thing by taking gambles on these young upcoming directors with these like quirky individualistic styles it's not like they had a pre-existing relationship with these people so they had no concept of how they were going to work together and it's clear that no matter what was said when they were being interviewed and when they were in pre-production and discussing their plans I'm sure everything seemed all rosy and lovely then but that's very different from how it actually is when you're behind those cameras and working with the actors and actually creating this movie for real. Um, because that seems to be the point at which the problems truly came out. Um, yeah. It sounds like talking about like the idea of them improvising. Well, there's this article from Entertainment Weekly. Um, one person close to the fire director says they thought they were brought on to make a Phil and Chris movie. Sometimes they just thought the actors could do it differently. But others on the project say they pushed too far. It wasn't just a question of tone. The variations added up significantly to change the story. Mm. So it's this idea that, like, yeah, each time they tweaked something from the script, it could be, like, a very small thing within that particular scene. But once they had the rough cut of the movie, they could look at it and say, actually, this is very different from what Kasdan had originally envisioned. Yeah. And, and what Kathleen had signed off on. Yeah. So... It's kind of like they have the creative freedom until they end up doing something that they're not ultimately happy with. Because yeah. Ryan Johnson's been talking quite recently about how he's had as much creative freedom on this project as he has with any other of his movies. Mm. Um, which I believe him, but I think it's because he was making decisions. He, one, he was writing and directing. So already you kind of have that tension out of the way. Yeah. Um, that it's one person's vision and presumably he worked pretty closely with Kathleen Kennedy and the story group so that they were happy with it and were part of the ongoing process. It wasn't like he just ran with it. Mm. Um, so it is kind of sounding as if, yes, there is creative freedom, but within this schema that you mm. can't just go and do anything you like with these characters. Yeah. Because for all the talk of it being a standalone, it's not really. like It's still Han Solo. Exactly. Rogue, and Rogue One wasn't really a standalone. You know, yeah. they still they still relied on that framework of A New Hope and Vader and Leia and everyone. Like, I know they had new characters, but they were all killed off. Yeah. So I really think that if they do want to hire these young directors and have them put their personal stamp on these movies, then they need to move the spin-off films away from the main saga more. So that means not including classic characters and not basically making your film a prequel to A New Hope. <laughs> yeah, because then they're really not standalones, are they? Because then you get people going, well, which order do you watch the movies in? I watched that one before A New Hope but because it's a prequel, essentially. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, it means that they're part of that mythology. So when I'm sure they were really excited when they had the idea of doing these standalones and probably presented it to these potential directors like you can do what you want within this sandbox of the Star Wars universe and it's actually not that simple so yeah. they're kind of figuring that out now I'll be interested to see what this means for the future of the standalones and how brave they are with story decisions and directorial decisions because I mean we heard that there was going to be a new standalone announced in just a few weeks but is that going to be the case now yeah there's a big question mark over that. It really wouldn't surprise me if that's dropped because I think they're probably going to take a much more conservative approach to the standalones. And 
while that's a shame and in a way it's the boring decision, I think it's kind of becoming more inevitable because this is not the first time this has happened. It seems that every single directorial choice for the standalone movies has gone horribly wrong somehow because they had Josh Trank on the Boba Fett movie originally and he was fired early in pre-production because of the debacle that happened with Fantastic Four (laughs) Um, because he clearly demonstrated he was not up to the task. Um, Then with Gareth Edwards, there was obviously conflict over his approach to the film and they ended up having to reshoot a lot of it. It was fine because he stayed on and he was collaborative and he was happy to work with someone else for the reshoots. But it doesn't change the fact that there was disagreement there and it wasn't an easy production, to put it mildly. And now we obviously have this whole situation with Lord and Miller. So I think this whole risky approach to directors it's not working basically at least not for the standalones and i think we're going to see a very significant shift yeah i i do wonder how much of the general public is actually aware of the stuff that was going on with rogue one because mm. it's not like they ever formally announced that tony gilroy was coming on yeah did they i don't I mean, think so no he, he's not even officially credited for it Right, they tried to downplay the significance of the reshoots, as you know, we talked about as that was happening on the podcast. But um, yeah, like Gareth Edwards, obviously, as you said, like has a different approach to it and was happy to stay on and give interviews and be at the premiere and act like he was the sole director. But we knew that Tony Gilroy was there working on stuff. Yeah. But something's happened this time that Lord and Miller obviously weren't willing to be like, yeah, okay, we'll stay on for the reshoots and we'll work with Ron Howard. Uh, Mm. for whatever reason it just wasn't coming together so they kind of had to make this announcement and say yes it's going to be a different director and I'm really interested to see what it means for the end credits yes it'd be very humiliating if they have to um, credit the film to Alan Smithy (laughs) 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 yeah cringe (laughs) I'm sure it won't come to that I reckon the most plausible scenario is the one where it was a joint credit so it's Lord and Miller and Ron Howard Mm. but we will see. I guess it depends how much of Lord and Miller's material is kept for the final film, because they might well go back and review that footage and Ron Howard might say, well, we can keep a few of the action scenes, but to be honest, based on what I want to do with this material, I think we're really going to just have to go back to the drawing board for most of it. You know, that might well happen. Um, Obviously, I'm sure they hope it doesn't because that would be immensely expensive. (laughs) Yeah, if that's the case, I think they're going to have to push it back from May because that's just too ambitious. Because uh, they've said that they're thinking of doing seven weeks of reshoots now. Yeah, something like that. I think I saw two months was mm. the time period I saw, which is very extensive. That's more extensive than Rogue One. But given the situation, that's not remotely surprising. <laughs> yeah. So it would just be interesting to see what happens from here. Like, ultimately, I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. Um, I really like I admire that they were bold enough to make this choice because, as we've said, it it doesn't look good. Um, But if it results in a better movie, it's the brave choice. Yeah. Um, And it's the kind of thing that, yeah, it will be known and talked about from years to come because Star Wars fans like to talk about this stuff. But um, if it it results in a good story, I don't think people will mind. It will be like, yeah, that was a a good decision. Exactly. Like, what would people prefer that they kept with these directors and they ruined Han Solo? (laughs) Yeah, it's a hard decision, but I think when you read all these different reports, it's easy to see why they reached it. Um, And I think it's ultimately a case of Kathleen Kennedy siding with 
like her old friend and the person she has this long-standing relationship with and trusts, i.e. Lawrence Kasdan, rather than these two directors who, while I'm sure they're really passionate, I'm sure they really were infused and desperate to make a great Han Solo movie, they clearly went off script and they clearly did things their way when people were saying, look, could we maybe do with things differently? Um, and ultimately it wasn't working and it wasn't what Lucasfilm wanted. So they had to make a hard call, but I'm optimistic that it will work out well in the end. And I do think Ron Howard's a good person to bring in to fix the situation. And I think most importantly for me, this makes me confident that they're not going to let episode nine be bad. So for all my misgivings about Trevorrow, I don't for a moment think that they'd hesitate to do something similar with him. If they weren't confident that he was doing a good job, basically. I don't think there would be any qualms about prioritising the film over the filmmaker, essentially. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be a fan, really, because they're kind of figuring out what Star Wars is going to be. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh yeah, we want we want it to feel like Star Wars, but what is Star Wars? Is it just enough for it to be set in the galaxy and have planets and characters that we recognise, or is there something more fundamental, like a specific tone mm. um, or moral message? Or because there is that within the trilogies, like you, you can immediately recognise the Skywalker saga. But if they're trying to distinguish these films, and I think they've said before they wanted each one to have its own unique feel. Mm. But can you do that in a way where it still feels like Star Wars? Because um, Kathleen Kennedy's talked about what they were envisioning for the Han Solo film, more like a Western or heist. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that crossed with Lord and Miller's sense of humour, um, which honestly, to me, if it if I'm thinking of it as the Han Solo version of one of their films, I don't know if I would even consider it canon because it's like almost a parody. Yeah, exactly. It's like you don't want it to be like a sci-fi version of A Million Ways to Die in the West or something. Yeah, it's like a an ode to it, but not quite the real thing. So yeah. doesn't mean it would be a bad film. It's just going to be very different from what we end up with now. Exactly. And I think you really need to be able to buy into these films. You need to be able to accept that this is part of the same universe as the main saga films even if it's telling a distinct story and yeah like if the tone is too different or it's too blatantly a lord and miller film then i think you lose that and yeah it's a really fine line i think Mm -hmm. unfortunately the recording cuts off here um no one was more frustrated with this than we were (laughs) because we felt like we had run every test known to man to make sure this would not happen but it still did so please rest assured that we are taking steps to make sure this does not happen again and that will include cursing our current software to the grave and finding a replacement so incidentally if you have any technical knowledge and you know of software that can record both sides of a skype conversation in a reliable fashion and in decent quality please do email me at scavengershoard at gmail.com because you'd be doing me a legendary favour I think I've basically found a replacement but it can't help to ask for support and advice from our friends um, but yeah please rest assured that next week you'll get a full show and that this will not happen again because I will not let it happen again um, just to get the usual niceties out of the way you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr or on Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. And you can find Kirsty at Bastila Bay on Tumblr or at Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening and please do tune in next time. Thank you. Bye.